Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. I've been seeing a lot of chatter about Puerto Rico as a magic pill for tax planning, residency planning, and all sorts of other things that folks in the wealthy community are thinking about. I'd like to talk a little bit about the benefits, the requirements, the traps for the unwary, and the best practices. And we're lucky enough to have Maria Rivera, who is an accountant at Grant Thornton and the leader of the practice down in Puerto Rico here, to talk to us a little bit about what makes Puerto Rico interesting, what you have to do in order to comply and do the right things to make sure that you aren't sort of tripping yourself up with the U.S. government and others, and other best practices. Maria, welcome aboard. Thank you, Fraser, and it's a pleasure to be here with you in order to, you know, talk a little bit about our precious island, Puerto Rico, and what it has to offer. I forgot in the introduction that you are coming to us directly from Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. which is great, Mm -hmm. and really have sort of the boots on the ground experience in advising clients. Before we get into what makes Puerto Rico interesting and what you have to do to use it correctly, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be in the accounting world, how you got to Grant Thornton. Sure, sure. I'm a natural of Puerto Rico, and I studied accounting here in college, in Catholic University, and then went for my master's in taxation out of the University of Texas in Austin, a CPA. And I was say more than 30 years of experience, all in tax, all in Puerto Rico. Right now, I'm a tax partner here in Kivain Grand Thornton, which is the member firm of Grand Thornton International. And we have a group of around 13 to 14 individual tax consultants working specifically and exclusively in everything, incentives and anything that has to do with tax planning and structuring to come to Puerto Rico to do business, among other other things. Well, you must be really busy, especially with the Biden potential tax changes that are out there. I've seen it here in New York and nationally, people talking about What are my options in terms of tax planning? And frequently in my world, there's a lot of state arbitrage where people are avoiding state taxes. But Puerto Rico has different features that are interesting. And especially for those people who can move their businesses to Puerto Rico or their lives in general to Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. there's some real interesting issues that could be beneficial. Maybe take us through a little bit about the climate of Puerto Rico. I don't mean the sun climate. I mean sort of the, (laughs) the, the, the business climate and what those interesting features are for people. Sure, sure. And all this comes into play also because of our political relationship with the U.S. As a lot of people know, and for those that are not aware, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. Like, for example, you know, by being born in Puerto Rico, we are U.S. citizens, and you don't need a passport to come to Puerto Rico and travel from Puerto Rico to the States or vice versa. And that gives us a special situation when we talk about tax. Being a possession, you know, for a lot of things, and also that's that's a good thing when people are planning to come down to Puerto Rico to move their business because it gives them confidence and trust. We are under U.S. customs rules, U.S. border rules. We are protected both under the U.S. Constitution and the Puerto Rico Constitution. Our currency is the U.S. dollar. So coming to Puerto Rico is like going to New York or to Los Angeles, you know, or Austin, Texas, and, you know, see whatever you see down there in all those places. But from a tax 
standpoint, from a federal tax standpoint, Puerto Rico is a foreign country, a foreign jurisdiction. So that allows Puerto Rico to have its own tax system, its own tax incentives program, which combined with certain rules in the U.S. make Puerto Rico and makes a move to Puerto Rico very attractive for a certain type of people. Well, and I, I've seen it where people talk about, geez, you know, should I be giving up my citizenship? I want to get out of the U.S. tax scheme completely. Puerto Rico seems to be sort of a way to do that without giving up the citizenship and maybe having a different set of rules and an avoidance of an expatriation tax, which can be something that people don't want to swallow. Tell us a little bit about that component and maybe how that applies to a lot of clients that are interested in Puerto Rico. One thing we need to remember is that U.S. citizens, and that includes bona fide residents of Puerto Rico, you know, because we are U.S. citizens, we are taxed at the federal level, U.S. federal level, on all our worldwide income. So no matter where you live, if you're still a U.S. citizen, you're still subject to federal taxation. The interesting tweak here is that if you are a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico, and again, because of this political you know, relationship we have, there is a special provision in the U.S. tax code, section 933, for those that are technical, that says that if you are a bona fide resident of a possession, you know, i.e. Puerto Rico, your Puerto Rico sourced income, and here the key term is sourced, the Puerto Rico sourced income will not be subject to U.S. federal taxation. Meaning, for example, in my case, I live here in Puerto Rico, I am a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico, and I work here in Puerto Rico. My salary is not subject to U.S. tax. I only pay Puerto Rico tax, which is at the federal tax rate levels. We are not at the state level. So when we talk about Puerto Rico versus federal, we are kind of at the same same level of tax rates, okay? But for me, for example, if I have income from dividends, let's say from any company in the U.S. that, you know, I bought some shares in the in the market, that dividend, even though I'm, I live in Puerto Rico, is sourced where the company that pays the dividends is. So if it's anywhere else than Puerto Rico, I have to pay U.S. tax on that dividend, okay? So... When talking about moving to Puerto Rico and not paying U.S. tax at all, the answer is it depends. Depends on the type of income we're talking about. So for clients that sort of see Puerto Rico in the headlines and hear no federal income tax, how do I arrange my affairs in order to take advantage of this tax structure and whatever other positives that Puerto Rico has to offer from a business climate perspective? Uh, what kinds of clients are you seeing? Where does this work the best? Before going into that, we have to talk a little bit about the incentives that Puerto Rico provides and why you can arrive to a zero tax or a very, very little tax, talking about a 4% flat rate. Puerto Rico has a program of incentives that has been in place for many, many, many years. And the most common ones and that the ones that you're hearing a lot are two are the export of services exemption and the new resident investor exemption. Let's talk about the export. The export exemption is at the business level. You know, you can establish a business in Puerto Rico. You don't need to be a resident of Puerto Rico to establish a business here. 
you can establish a business here that will be rendering services from Puerto Rico to the world, consulting services, financial services, software development, you name it. There's a list of different services that can qualify for this exemption. So as long as the service is rendered from Puerto Rico, in the case of services, the source, remember the key word here is source. When you render services, the source is where you are you know, performing the services. Doesn't matter who your client is, it's where you render the service. So if you have your business here and you're rendering this the service from Puerto Rico, you can apply for an export exemption and the net income of that business would be subject to a flat 4% income tax rate. Distributions like dividends, you know, pay out out of that business, pay zero tax in Puerto Rico under the incentives. So if the owner happens to be a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico, then that distribution will pay no U.S. tax because it's Puerto Rico sourced income. It's been derived in Puerto Rico. If the owner stays in the U.S., it's not going to pay tax in Puerto Rico, just the 4%, right, on the business, but then it will have to pay tax at the federal level and then probably at the state level if there's a state income tax. So that's why the best combination is to, to establish your business in Puerto Rico and also become a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico in that case. In addition to that, if you have, for example, your income streams are mostly capital gains, passive income, you know, you can apply for another incentive and that would be at the individual level. That is what is commonly known still out there as Act 22. Now is chapter two on the new incentives code. Basically, what that provides you is that if you move to Puerto Rico and you comply with certain requirements, Puerto Rico will grant you a contract, an exemption grant that will last until 2035. There is a sunset to this benefit. And for Puerto Rico purposes, your interest dividends and certain capital gains will not pay tax at all would be zero. That's why people say pay zero tax instead of the federal, but that does not apply to all type of income, just to certain type of income. In addition, and this works the best for those that are always, you know, realizing capital gains, you know, but if you have like interest income and dividend income, you may pay zero tax in Puerto Rico pursuant to this contract, but still, you may have to pay tax in the U.S. because it might be from sources not in Puerto Rico. Right. So as you're sort of looking through your tax return, your K-1s are going to be particularly important because that's going to tell you where the income is coming from. And then as you put your fact pattern together and you're sort of defending your situs to the federal different state levels and Puerto Rico levels, it's, it's those sources. And that's the thing that people have to really hone in on when they're doing their planning is you're really trying to think ahead as to what the K-1 is going to say when it's driving that income up to your, up to your level at some point. Yes. And the key word I also hear is structuring and planning. You know, our recommendation is to, you know, take your time and analyze your income streams, analyze your businesses, analyze your partners. Because remember, I mentioned that Puerto Rico for tax purposes in the U.S. is a foreign jurisdiction. So if you're creating an entity in Puerto Rico, but still have some owners in the U.S., 
you may trigger some international tax provisions from the U.S. code, like control foreign corporations and anything that has to deal with that. So proper structuring is required, you know, in order to achieve the best or the most tax efficient, you know, structure. So for those people who have, say, cryptocurrencies with low basises or business interests with low basis, Puerto Rico sounds like it's a really interesting situation to be a part of, and you might be able to avoid capital gains tax on those types of situations. What are some things people should be thinking about, though? Yeah, that's a great question, Fraser, and very a very misunderstood topic. When you move to Puerto Rico and you already have some assets, you know, stock, bonds, crypto, personal type of assets that you're bringing into Puerto Rico. The general rule, again, under Section 937 of the U.S. Code, is that that gain, if you realize it within 10 years of your move, is U.S., is subject to U.S. tax. But they give you an election to make. That The election, basically, what it does, it bifurcates or allocates the gain between your period as a resident of U.S. and your period as a resident of Puerto Rico. Depending on the type of asset, is it a marketable security, like for example, stock that is traded or an asset that is traded in a public market, you will set up the U.S. gain against the fair market value of that asset at the date of you becoming a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico, of your move to Puerto Rico. If it's not marketable, like for example, it's a private company, or some commodities that might might not be marketable securities, then the allocation would be done based on a holding period basis. Meaning your denominator in that fraction would be the total days you have held the asset and the numerator would be the US days before you move to Puerto Rico. And that fraction of the gain would be US source, would be subject to US tax if you sell within 10 years. Got it. So it really makes sense to run the numbers. And if you are just understanding what tax position you're at at the end of each year so that you understand what to allocate and what not to allocate if Mm -hmm. you're making a sale Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to realize or not realize capital gains. Yes. And in that matters, if it's something that still has not achieved all its potential, one of the structures or or ways to do this might be to sell before you move to Puerto Rico. Right. Got it. Realize any gain that is in there. And then anything that you acquire after you established your residence in Puerto Rico, it will be Puerto Rico sourced. So just as a follow-up to that, so if you were doing estate planning where interests were being transferred either to you or to someone else within your Puerto Rican domicile and family, like through grat planning or something like that, that would actually, you're sort of extending the power of that estate planning technique, it sounds like. It would have to be studied. You know, I'm, I'm not a state tax expert. And one thing to keep in mind is that if you were born in the U.S., even though you live in Puerto Rico, you're still, how you say, governed by U.S. state tax, you know, rules. So you still need to do a lot of structuring and planning for that purposes. Excellent. Again, a lot of pieces. To the <laughs> a lot of, lot of pieces, <laughs> lots of things that you have to go wrong, and it really makes sense to, to run the numbers to see how it works. So it sounds like the best of all worlds is to, and this is oversimplifying things, of course, but to have a Puerto Rico business and control that Puerto Rican business as a resident of Puerto Rico, that that fact pattern looks pretty durable 
when dealing with the federal government and dealing with Puerto Rico, dealing with any states that you came from and things like that. So for the people who are out there saying, you know, I might be selling a business or I'm in Bitcoin or I deal in intangibles, I trade stocks, things like that. What is important for them to think about in terms of the structuring so that as they do all of this planning, that they make sure, as I like to put it, they stick the landing, meaning they make sure that they are in Puerto Rico, that they comply for Puerto Rican purposes, but also comply with everything for federal purposes, because that's that's many times the point of the exercise. What are the different requirements that are out there that we should be thinking about? Yeah, very important. Thank you for the question, Fraser. From an individual standpoint, not talking about the business. Remember, I said that you can establish a business in Puerto Rico and do not have to come to Puerto Rico. But if you want to come to Puerto Rico to improve you know, your tax efficiency, and this is mostly from the IRS standpoint, from the U.S. standpoint. Remember, I mentioned Section 933. We also have Section 937 that provides what are the rules or the requirements for a person to say, I'm a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico, you know? And basically, in very general terms, there are three tests that every individual has to do every year and comply with them, the three of them. It's not one or the other. It's the three tests every single year. And these tests are the physical presence test, which is the most commonly referred to as the 183 days. You know, everybody says, ah, oh, yeah, I, I can meet 183 days easily. Okay, that's one of the tests. But in addition to the 183 days, there are other, I think it's four or five ways you can meet the physical presence test. But then there are two other tests that for me are kind of more crucial because are the ones that people might fail more easily than the 183 days. And that one is the tax home test. Tax home basically is where you work from, where is your principal place of work, and closer connection. And the closer connection is basically facts and circumstances of your daily life. Where do you live, you know? So things like where your family is, where your, your minor children are, where your personal belongings are, your bank accounts, your driver's license, your charitable organizations, your business organizations, your day-to-day -day life. Because what you have to prove is that you really live in Puerto Rico. You know, you have a, your home here, the kids go to school here, you know, you go to church or to whatever business organizations, to social clubs, you register to vote here. So I always say it's like you have two baskets and you have to start putting things in these baskets, the Puerto Rico basket and the other basket. And your Puerto Rico basket has to wait a lot more than your other basket. That's a good way of putting it. So we, we have a lot of experience in New York where people move from New York to Florida and many people sort of, as you say, sort of look at the physical presence test and don't really focus on that closer connection test in particular. And I tell them, I'm like, look, you've got to register the cars. You have to go to church or synagogue or whatever you do down there. The kids have to go to school there. I mean, it's a big thing. And it also is difficult for people who are retiring or selling a business and they want to travel and that's the stick the landing part. If you stayed in New York for a third of the year, that would seem to be okay. 
But then if you are only in Florida a third of the year and then are traveling a third of the year, that first year is a bad fact pattern if New York were to come after you. And so I suspect it's the same thing with Puerto Rico and the federal government. They're looking at that and saying, that first year, are you truly a Puerto Rican resident? And then not only filing the right documents, but also living the correct life is really important. And so what I'm also taking from it is that you almost have to prove that every year going forward as well. That's correct. You need to do these tests, perform these tests every year because it's like the bona fide residence, you know, being a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico is for the full year. So you need to do every year. And for example, in the case of like tax return preparers, when they're going to be preparing your returns, taking these positions, they will not audit you because tax preparers, we, we don't audit, but we'll get representations, you know, and we'll ask a list of questions. And based on your answers, we'll tell you, well, you should file the returns this way or that way. Okay. So as you're, as you're sort of advising clients, it sounds like there's a lot of upfront work for year one to make sure that everything's documented, that you'll survive the audit from whomever it comes from. And then it sounds like there's best practices going forward. Is that similar to, say, having a day planner and stapling a receipt that says you're in Puerto Rico each day so that when the tax ban comes, you just you plunk the day planner in front of them and say, look, here I was. And then making sure that everything's titled correctly, making sure your organizations are what they are and that they're Puerto Rico based. And that if you're involved in things that aren't Puerto Rico based, you're at kind of a non-resident level and it says that. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. all? Is that all part of the documentation, documentation, documentation? It's key. You know, it's not just on the form, but the substance. It's very important, the substance. When we interview prospects, which, as you mentioned at the beginning, we're getting a lot of interest we are very clear with them, you know, what are the rules? And from the questions they start asking, you know, who really wants to move to Puerto Rico or who is just thinking about a very temporary thing coming to Puerto Rico. And I always tell people intent is very important. You must demonstrate your intent to become a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico. It's not that you are coming to Puerto Rico because you have a plan to sell your business, for example in a couple of years, and right after you sell, you leave. Yeah, you, you definitely don't want to broadcast that. I wouldn't think nope. that. That doesn't look no. good. <laughs> yeah. And also, proper planning before. I mean, we have a lot of people that, you know, we are approaching the middle of the year, you know, for the 193 days, and they're rushing. With, I want to move before June 30, and I want to do it right now. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, this is a very important decision you're making, you know, and should not be rushed. And tax is important for a lot of people. You know, saving taxes is important. But sometimes family issues and family goals might be more important than tax. You know, more often than not, I meet with couples and maybe one of them is really enthusiastic about coming to Puerto Rico because they're going to save a lot of money. But then there is the other part that, you know, talks about family and uh, I'm not sure I can be that long without seeing my grandchildren or my children, you know, which are probably grown up already. So, and if you have minor children that you must bring with you, I mean, they need to like it. If they don't like it, your life is going to be really hard. Yeah. yeah 183 <laughs> days is, is both not very long and can be infinite <laughs> depending yeah, on, yeah. depending on what you're doing. And it's also a strange phenomenon for people 
to have to live under that time structure sometimes, or especially for the first time. They just don't get it. And then all of a sudden, they're building their life around 183 days, plus or minus. And do I need to build in a margin of safety? And oh, I went to the hospital. Does that screw me up? And oh. and that's good that you mentioned because there are exceptions, you know, to the days in the possession, like for, for medical emergencies. I mean, you can go out. It's not like you're going to be in prison here. You, you know, you can travel for vacation and even for business. But you need to be understanding that that might impact, you know, your final tax tab. Like, for example, if you are earning income in the U.S. because you travel and do some business there, well, that would not be covered by the exclusion under 933 because it would be sourced in the U.S., okay? So it's very important that people that are thinking on moving to be aware of all the possibilities, you know, and the impact. It's not a magic pill, like you mentioned <laughs> right. at the beginning. That's right. You know, that you drink and voila. You know, it's there. You know, you need to structure and you need to plan and understand, understand the, the rules. Another thing that I, I talk to people about is that don't cut it that that strict to 183 days. You're in danger zone if you do that. Okay. So you need to, again, intent. You know, I want to become a Puerto Rico resident. And you have to think about 365 days of which I can travel some days, you know, and I can go to the States for business. But it's not, if you just think about the 183 days, that's a great pressure, as you mentioned, great stress. Because if you couldn't cut it too, too tight, you might fail. So we talk about the residency and sort of the personal aspect a little bit. I'm also interested to, maybe this is the first way to think about asking this is, what businesses are people in that are making the move to Puerto Rico? Uh, you talked about consulting services, financial services. These are things that I think are probably easier to move across borders because they're intangible. That would make a lot of sense to me. What other types of businesses are interesting there? And then, well, let's start with that. And I've got a follow-up question. Yeah, the very first wave that we had when, when Act 22 back in 2012 was approved were hedge fund managers and traders, you know? Because they, as you mentioned, it was easy for them to pack and come, you know, and they will be both exporting, you know, obtaining a business exemption for the exporting of their consulting or whatever, but also getting, especially the traders, getting the resident investors, you know, exemption because most of their income were its capital gains, you know, from the trading. As things have evolved, you know, and the export of services covers a long list of different type of industries that can be performed, like back offices, services, call centers, for example. They can be very small operations to very large there's call centers that hire like 200 or 300 people, you know, to perform their services. So it's not just limited to consulting. Those are the ones that are most common, you know, because maybe they're like one or two man show and they they can easily, you know, come to Puerto Rico, but we have big operations like software development, R&D, all that might be covered by the export exemption or any of the other exemptions that we have. Like we have manufacturing exemptions, we have exemptions for energy, for tourism. You know, there is, there is a long list of different incentives that we offer here. Cool. So here's the follow-up question, and it gets back to source income because source income... 
I have to deal with that on a state-to-state basis. Where is the income coming from and so on? So if you have these consulting services where, let's say, 95% of what goes on is either happening over a Zoom call or on the phone or via email, that type of thing, but you fly to visit your client one time to make sure they're alive or kick the tires or do whatever, who's the ultimate arbiter of what source income is? Is that Puerto Rico? Is that the federal government? Is it somebody else? And when you get in those shades of gray, again, how do you structure it so that you don't kill your fact pattern for your own personal planning? Yeah, it's both, both Puerto Rico and the U.S. From the Puerto Rico side, for the export exemption, the income has to be from Puerto Rico sources, mostly. And what when they say mostly or substantially, but then in the regulations, they define that whatever can happen outside Puerto Rico has to be minimal or ancillary. You know, it's not substantial. But then from the U.S. point, and that's where a, a good planning and depending on what is it that it's been done, the rules in the U.S. have changed a lot lately. And just by having your feet on the ground there, you might have your Puerto Rico entity doing business in the U.S., So that would be a bad answer. You want to limit that part of the fact pattern as much as possible. Yes, yes. So a lot of the work that needs to be done ahead is that, you know, what is your business? What are your intentions? You might structure it that you might have an entity in the U.S. and an entity in Puerto Rico and work for both of them in certain ways. But again, you need to be aware of the closer connection and tax home test from the individual side. So a lot of pieces. To the puzzle that need to be, you know, very well arranged to obtain the best tax, you know, response or answer. Well, this is really interesting. And thank you because I, it's something where I know it, it can't be easy or everyone would do it. And Puerto Rico is such a nice place that it has a lot of other attributes beyond just having tax favorable status. What else is happening in Puerto Rico right now that, that you're getting excited for? I know that it's had a tough time with the hurricanes and different infrastructure issues and earthquakes and all sorts of components, but it's still a beautiful area. It functions under the protection of the United States, so it's actually an interesting business location. What else is happening in Puerto Rico that has the residents excited? Well, we're excited to the fact that uh, finally, it seems like the emergency funds, the CBDGR funds that were allotted to Puerto Rico because of the storms almost four years this year already, are finally coming down. So we are expecting a lot of construction, infrastructure development to finally start. And that's bringing a lot of interest, of course, from stateside companies to come to Puerto Rico. As you mentioned, Puerto Rico is very well geographically positioned in the middle of the Caribbean. And we enjoy a great weather, of course, all year around. But we are like in a central point where, if, especially for people that want to be serving both the north and the south, we are like a portal to the south, to South America, to Central America. We are bilingual. So our native language is Spanish. And, you know, we are very useful in ways to make business, you know, with South America, Central America, Puerto Rico is a very great place to establish your business, both because we are kind of Latin American, you know, in nature, but we're, as you mentioned, protected by the U.S., you know, customs, borders, constitutions, and and currency. So that puts us in a very special position. Well, and it's it's easy to get to. The major airport, 
There are direct flights every day from New York, from Miami, from Dallas, from major cities. There are other cities that you still have to, you know, make a connection. But, you know, from New York, Miami, Orlando, Dallas, we have direct flights every day. That's terrific. Well, Maria, thank you very much for being on. This is a great education. I think it's going to help sort of firm up people's thinking about where Puerto Rico may be for their planning purposes, but also sort of business location purposes. So I really appreciate it. Tell us how my listeners can keep track of you and where they can find you on the web. Yes, you can find us on our page, which is Grant Thornton PR. You know, you just write Grant Thornton PR and you will find us there. In that webpage, you will find our contact information as well as a bunch, I mean, thousands of documents and articles we write on Puerto Rico and the different incentives that we have and what's really happening in Puerto Rico. So you will find there one of our premier publications with this, it's the Puerto Rico Incentives Tax Guide. It's a publication of around 60 pages or more where we discuss in general terms all the incentives and what the requirements are and what they provide for. So that's our number one publication, the most visited one. But there are a lot of articles and, you know, in other topics. And of course, our information is there. So you can email us and contact us through there. Terrific. I will put all of the links in the show notes on the webpage so listeners can find it there. Maria, thank you again. And good luck down in Puerto Rico. I have a feeling you're going to get a lot of interest in the next couple of years. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to WealthActually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Wealth Actually.